This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am here with my host, co-host, Kelly King. Hello, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. All we right. have, uh, this is a little peek behind the curtain. We've had a marathon week of recording podcasts. So yes, y'all will hear them all like separated out. But Kelly and I have been talking a lot recently, <laughs> which we love. It's so We love. Yeah. We love it. And we are super excited about our guest today. Yes. So today we have someone on um, who works with us. And so that's really fun because we get this like insider connection. But we're speaking with Trevin Wax. So Trevin, uh, one of the things that we do on this podcast is we have the authors and speakers introduce themselves because that just seems more friendly and personable. So if you could just tell us about yourself and your family and your ministry, um, that would be great. Sure. Um, so I, it is great to work with both of you as well. Um, my role at Lifeway is uh, Senior Vice President of Theology and Communications at, at Lifeway, which means I've, I wear a number of hats, but one of the ways that I've worked with um, uh, both you, Elizabeth, and you, Kelly, as well, is just with our theological community of practice, which means we, we revise position papers on sensitive issues, and we review them, and we, we answer questions that come up from different people on our teams. And so that's really a fun part of the job that uh, uh, is is an um, exciting part of the calling uh, to, to be at Lifeway. But um, my, married to Karina, we've been married 18 years. We have three kids. Our oldest is 16. And uh, Friday of this week is getting his driver's license. Pray for us. Right. That's right. right. <laughs> um, and then our, our uh, we have a daughter who is in middle school and then a another son who is um, in second grade. So uh, we, we live in Middle Tennessee. Um, I have served as a missionary in Romania for, for several years and, uh, have been at Lifeway now for 10, uh, helping to start the gospel project about eight years ago and, um, helped relaunch the CSB. So the, the Christian standard Bible translation. So those have, that's kind of been the, the way we've arrived at where we've, we've, we've gotten. Yeah, just yeah, you just know, some small, yeah, little, yeah, small, small. tiny projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, just, just a Bible translation. No biggie. Yeah. Well, but these are great, great. I think the the most awesome part about being at Lifeway is just the team members you get to work with. I mean, we've mm-hmm. had great teams around those projects and, you know, working with Elizabeth on social media or on different, I mean, I've worked with uh, Elizabeth, you and I've worked on like a Bible project together, yes. a social media <laughs> together, uh, the theological community of practice, like multiple things. And then Kelly, you know, I've spoken at Forum. You know, yeah. just all it's just yeah. been it's been it's just great all the different people that we get to interact with and, and sharpen and benefit from at LifeWave. So appreciate both of you. Yes, oh, and thank we you. appreciate you. And one of the things that we're interested in um asking you about, because I think that a lot of our women will also be interested in this, is you write a lot. You have published a lot of books. So how do you balance your work and your discipline for writing um together? Because I know you're a very busy person at work, you have a you know, full-time ministry, you, and you also write. 
all the time. So how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me, I mean, I think people are just wired differently. So I don't, I wouldn't want to say that, you know, everybody is sort of built to do the same kinds of things. But I, for me, writing is really closely connected to thinking mm -hmm. and to reading. So I, I read a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And I write a lot, because that's part of like breathing in and out for me, you know, like I'm taking in stuff. And then I'm, 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 as I write, I'm thinking through the different concepts and things that I've been been considering. So um, it's not easy. I don't, I really don't enjoy the writing process, which is funny because people, you know, I think of myself as a writer, but I really like, I, I much prefer holding the book in my hand than I did mm -hmm. the experience of writing the book. Because <laughs> it's just, it's painful sometimes, you know, but, uh, but I do feel like it's, it's a calling and I'm wired that way. And I, I do love to, um, to, to write and to, to lead through writing and helping people, you know, come to, to, to terms with, um, uh, you know, a biblical worldview and what, what God says about us and who we are called to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, we see that in your writing and the things that you have done. And we really do want to talk a little bit about your newest book. It's called Rethink Yourself. And it's not yourself as one word, but yourself, two words. And it's getting a lot of attention from the evangelical community and just a lot of praise for some of the things that you've written in here, Trevin, which you have almost all of your writing kind of, you know, people are really drawn to it. And so tell us a little bit about the book, why you decided to write it, and maybe just kind of the, the story behind it. Sure. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I have, have had a real burden for in the last few years has been um, this, it, looking out over our culture and our society, I see that, that most people, including inside the church and not, and outside the church, um, they believe that the the dominant purpose of life, the the primary purpose of life, is to look inside yourself to find yourself and then express yourself. You know, like the idea, mm -hmm. the purpose of life is you look inside to discover who you are. You want to be true to yourself, and then you want to express that to the world so that others can can benefit from sort of your your uniqueness. Now, there is some truth in that way of thinking, but there's also that doesn't. There's a lot of areas in which that doesn't line up with with a biblical understanding of the world. And so I so I felt the burden. Uh, my A book that I wrote before this one called This Is Our Time, I did a whole chapter on this very subject. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I knew at the end of that book, I said, you know, I really think that chapter should, the ideas in that, that, that you need a whole little book just on that. And so I worked on, on this book, Rethink Yourself, with the, with the mindset of how do I, how do we talk about this, this sort of Hey, how do you see the purpose of life? You know, how do you how do you think of yourself in relation to the world, in relation to God, in relation to your, your church or community? How do you how do you see yourself? How could I write a book that would be really accessible that you don't have to have a, a PhD to understand it? You don't have to have gone to seminary, you don't have to, but you know, anyone can read it. You don't even have to have been a church member or be familiar with the Bible. Like just you could give this book to anyone on the street and I would sort of help them along to to see the difference between what passes for common sense wisdom in our world today and what the Bible teaches is the, the dominant view of life. And that's what that's really what uh, what motivated the book. And I, I hope that the way I'm kind of explaining these concepts is really easy to understand and has hooks that you can kind of grab onto and that it, it leads people to do what the title says, to rethink themselves, to rethink who they are and what they're all about. 
You know, that's, I'm glad you said that because when I was looking through it, um, it's not hard. I mean, it, like there's some, there's some deep concepts, but to read it is not when you think of um, a theological concept of how we think of ourselves or how we do this. I, I really did find it was engaged, you know, super engaging. So I, I don't, I hope that people don't feel intimidated by thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be so hard for me to understand. Yeah, I put a, I, I basically, I know a lot of my readers are used to me sort of doing a little deeper dive into different concepts and things. And I push all of that to the end notes at the back of the book. So, so I kind of mm. say to those people, hey, if you want to go deeper in some of these concepts uh, to see what the actual sociological terms are for them and things, and the, you know, I, I, I put all of that in the back of the book so people would have a trail if they wanted to dig into some deeper books that are not quite as accessible. But I wanted this book to be almost like an evangelistic tract. I mean, it's longer, obviously. It's yeah. not like, a, you know, those tracts we hand out. But like where I could I could give it to, you know, a neighbor who's not even a believer and could know they could read this whole thing. Like they could understand it from start to finish and would would have a, I hope, a presentation of Jesus that is super compelling. And and I also thought about the church member who, you know, maybe they're not as discipled as they they could be at this moment. Um, they haven't, you know, they're not as mature in their faith as they could be. And they and they may have fallen for what passes for common sense in the world. You know, that the purpose of life really is to look inside first and then look around to express yourself to the world. Well, how how do I how do I win them over? How do I show them what's wrong with that way of thinking, how it doesn't actually satisfy? But then how the Bible and the gospel and, and the story of Jesus is so much better than that. And so that was really the heart behind putting this book together. Yeah. And I think that for our women today, that is such an important message because mm -hmm. we do hear often, you can be anything you want to be. You can do whatever you want. Um, and like you have all this potential and you've got to live out God's specific calling for your life and all this kind of stuff. And there's some truth in some of that. But I think it for me personally, I know, and I know from talking with friends and, and other people that are kind of like, um, coming through, even like I ha I mentor a college student and talking with her and that is overwhelming to try to be like, I can do, right. I can be anything I want to be. Well, then how do I know what I'm supposed to be? And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and I, I just think that that is so overwhelming. And to me to hear like, hey, there are some limits to what you can be. And th there's also a very clear calling that God has for all of us. And so can you kind of just tell, uh, talk a little bit about how we should approach reaching our potential and living out the calling that God has on our lives? That is maybe a little, it, at first it might sound a little restrictive, but in the end it's it's a mercy and it's grace for God to give us those restrictions. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we, we have this idea in our day that freedom, um, means the absence of any limitations and boundaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas a, a a more historic understanding of freedom in ancient philosophers, not just in the Bible, but it, but is that freedom is actually um, is is actually more about um, living within certain limitations and and arriving at the goal for which you were created to be. So, for example, it's not free for a fish to jump out of the ocean, right? If they flop on the sand, like I mean, are they free? Well temporarily, but not going <laughs> to yeah. be free for long. Because what, why? Because their nature is to be in, in, in that. And so the ancient philosophers would talked about freedom as conforming yourself to an external reality, and then fulfilling your, 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 the, the Greek word is telos, the purpose, the goal for which you were created. Well, you bring the Bible to bear on that. And what, what we find in scripture is that um, there's something actually freeing 
when knowing that you're not free to be anything that you want to be. <laughs> because then not every single choice that's available in the world is actually open to you. And you have a little more of a constrained set of options that then you can ask additional questions to say, okay, what what is it that God what what is it that God desires of me? How am I as a Christian um, who's being remade in the image of Jesus? What does freedom look like for me to pursue? Yes, for my gifts and my talents and the unique things that I bring to the table, mm -hmm. but in a way that brings Christ's glory. Because at the end of the day, as a Christian, your ultimate purpose is not to express yourself or to discover freedom outside of any limitations. Your ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God. And that's where you also find your greatest happiness right. because that's what you were created for. So that's when you're actually living up to your to your full potential, let's say. So um, I one of the things that I, I, I say in the book and I think is really important here is that uh, some people have the idea that, well, the church just sort of comes along and squelches your individuality, you know, represses you mm -hmm. or suppresses your individuality or your uniqueness. Um, and the world tells you just be yourself, be who you are. Actually, the world, the, the the biblical understanding is different than sort of the legalistic church environment, but it's also different than what the world says. The 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 scriptural view is that you that that we are moving toward a day when because we are made in the image of Jesus Christ and being remade into his image, we will be most ourselves and most like Christ. Like the truest version of yourself is the most Christ-like version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. When you sin, you're sinning against yourself as well, not just against God, but also against who God has created you to be. You're, you're actually becoming less of yourself when you sin. And God is in the process of refining us, of changing us. And once we're saved and then as we are sanctified to where all of the sinful, selfish elements of us are to be to be burned away like dross and we are to become our our fullest and truest selves in as we look more and more like Jesus. And so that's the beauty that the gospel has for us and that's a much more compelling and rich way of thinking of the world I think than what we have on offer in the world. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who one time we were talking about calling and she said, "I get really irritated when people ask me questions like, you know, how did you know God called you to be single or that?" And she was like, I don't know that God called me to this. He, the only thing God's called me to is himself. Like, that's right. my calling, is to be more like him. And that our lives reflect him when we live that out in obedience. So um, I just think we sometimes get that mixed, kind of mixed up the other way, don't we? Just, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would be really careful about, you know, assuming that at the end of the day, God is calling you to a specific state of being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the the particulars of how we arrive there are all part of his, you know, of his sovereignty, of his plan. Um and and so I think I think Christ likeness is the goal. That that is where right. that is where we are headed. So the world says, well be true to yourself, but it raises all sorts of questions. Okay, which self am I supposed to be true to? Because <laughs> yeah. myself has all sorts of competing desires and yes. different versions of myself and am i supposed to be true to myself as i am today or the better version that i hope to be tomorrow you know there's also that kind of pull am i supposed mm -hmm. to like what does it mean to be you does to, to, if i say oh my the you know i just need to be trevin well am i going to be trevin in all of my imperfections and things today or am i trying to be the better version of trevin that i want for tomorrow those are real challenges with the world's way of thinking that we really need scripture to 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 
uh, be brought to bear on this so that we can have a uh, have a better way of of envisioning life. Yeah. yeah, and and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but you really identify four D words in our you know and how we are shaped in the orientation of life, and those are definition, desires, display, and design, and how we can sometimes get those a little maybe out of order or view them in different ways. So explain a little bit you know, where, where you were going with that in the book. Yeah. So the, you know, as you're, I, I, I actually, I, I set up the book to say, you know, there's different ways of looking at life in terms of priority. Um, for many people, the priority is you look inside first mm-hmm. to find out who you are. And those are where the two D's come up to define yourself and to discover your deepest desires. You know, your desires are there. So um, how do you define yourself? Well, by your desires. You know, a lot of people, that's how they think of their deepest identity. So they look inside first to define themselves by their desires. Then they look around for affirmation from other people. And that's where the third D word comes in, which is display, that they put themselves on display to receive the affirmation and acclamation of other people that will cheer on the person that they have defined themselves to be, right? And then the the um, if 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 people after they've looked inside and then they they've looked around if they want some kind of spiritual dimension to their life sometimes they will look up to God or to some higher power for some kind of help in this matter but that fourth D we call design because in this sort of look in a w- approach to life where you look inside first um, there's all sorts of ways in which people want to design and redesign themselves. And so with like social media, Elizabeth knows this, like this is easier than ever to do because you can create this online persona and you could change it every couple of years if you want. You know, I mean, you could, you really, it's not just like you change your outward appearance, but you can change how you present to, to the world. Um, and so designing and redesigning has just become a fact of life, not just in terms of a midlife crisis, like we used to joke. But I mean, it's kind of like a crisis of identity for many people from adolescence on. Mm-hmm. So, so those four Ds are really important for understanding how the world looks at the purpose of life, that you define yourself by your desires, then you display yourself for other people to see. And then as you move through life, you often design or redesign yourself again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was, for me, that was very clarifying to just um, read through that and and look at and another thing you do is you look at other cultures and how not every culture um, does things the same way that we do. They may order the D words differently or order yeah, right. where they look differently. And so I think that's important, too, as we think about as we're moving toward a more global society and um, thinking through that. What is common sense, uh, to use your term for us, is not common sense for everyone, and it's not common sense for every time. And so that's something that we also have to think through as we read scripture. Um, And so I think this is all just very important for shaping our own identities as well as like shaping the way that we read and the way that we interact with others. Um, And that was kind of one of the other things we wanted to ask you about, because we know that you often give talks about the future of the church and the future of like where we're headed. And recently you gave one and talked just about how uh, COVID and coronavirus is changing the way that we're doing ministry and not just now, but like it's going to have impacts into the future. Um, So could you talk a little bit about the future of the church and where you kind of see it heading as well as um, ways that, because I know right now, one of the things you talked about was pastors and the burdens that they're feeling in coronavirus and then that will 
continue. And so just kind of, um, if you could just tell us some ways that we can work alongside our pastors to help them as well as ways we can pray for them during this season and beyond. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the benefits of the the role that I have at Lifeway is being able to oversee Lifeway Research. Mm-hmm. Um, a, amazing team, Scott McConnell, mm-hmm. great director of Lifeway Research. But that the the statistics and surveys and research projects that they do give us a glimpse of the church in the current moment and help us to to look to the future um, as to and helps us identify trends in certain right. certain areas. Now, you know, obviously, no trend is always going to happen in the same direction. I mean, yeah. God God upends trends all the time, right? But <laughs> yes. With uh with COVID and with coronavirus, it was I tell you one of the most fascinating things that we saw was at the beginning when we were surveying pastors. Um we saw that their of course their biggest concerns really revolved around the virus itself, you mm-hmm. know, um and people that had lost jobs because of the the, the lockdown in the spring. What was fascinating was that by the end of the summer and into the fall, the um, the number one concern that pastors had was disunity in the church, mm. um, wow. d- division over how to handle the reopening mm-hmm. was was number one, even more yeah. so than the virus itself. So what the, closing down things for a time wasn't really what was controversial. <laughs> what was controversial <laughs> was when pastors and churches had to make decisions on how to open things back up. Yeah. And and you know when to restart kids ministry and when to bring people back into groups and how to encourage masking or no masking and 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 a lot of our world is very polarized and our social media feeds um, are, are often can can lead to a to, can increase that, that polarization mm-hmm. to where everything gets politicized and the uh, pastors and church leaders have felt like they really can't do they really can't do anything right you know these they hear from a pretty vocal vo- people that are probably upset with them for doing anything opening at all at any capacity and then people that are upset because they're not fully back open and the rest of the church is falling for this hoax and you know things like that right. so um, i feel like they can't win sometimes they can't they yeah. can't win and they and you know a pastor feels the burden of the of holding together the unity of the church that's a very important role for the shepherd is to keep yeah. the flock together and how do you do that when you're not gathering in normal circumstances and you've got so much division amongst the flock. Um, and and that's that's been a, a really big challenge. And as far as trends that are coming up in the future, uh, I mean, I, I think because we are on the cusp of the vaccinations and it is possible that in early 2021, we will begin to start to see the collapse of the virus. Um, I, I do think we will see something of a rebound in church attendance um, but I don't think it's going to be the same because there have been, uh, over the past two years, we've seen a lot of statistics about this. There have been uh, an, a large percentage of people coming to church who have been pretty hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe they're once or twice a month and they would consider themselves faithful church attenders. Um, a lot of those people have likely now gotten out of the habit of any kind of church engagement at all. They were on the periphery yeah. to begin with, and they are likely to be even more distant from a congregation post-COVID. So I think the core of the church is going to come roaring back, but we're going to have to do a lot of serious work for those people on the periphery to make sure we don't lose sight 
of people who have who will who will drift during this season. So well, I think that's yeah, what the, the yeah. statistics show. I mean, I had a pastor last night tell me he said, "I have no, I have no idea how many people I have in my church right now because they're all scattered." You know, right, I mean, I see right. we we are meeting, and so I see a certain percentage, but I also know there's pr- people that are watching online, and and so regathering is going to be a long process, right? That's right. That's right. I think regathering is going to be we're going to spend years mm-hmm. um, building building back what. Um, what we've lost during this this season but here here's the here's the upside to that to some extent um those who will immediately return are are really the core of the core they're the remnant they're the faithful the most faithful um with the right energy and the capturing the right enthusiasm from from that sort of core of the church the heartbeat of the church we have the opportunity to really do a lot of good outreach in the years to come and i'm i'm excited to see what might happen with that maybe a little smaller but more energized core of of church members and church attenders yeah and my pastors have even talked about that that core group is uh returning with a desire to meet and so that while we may um the core group may have been hit or miss at certain times i think it's given us a desire to meet and we we find it more precious to meet together um than we did in the past and so it's like we desire that it's like the absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing (laughs) but i think that is true and so and they were just talking about how like the arguments that we may have had previously um might go away at least you know lessen or not be the main focus for a little while um so you know just the the like cliche argument of the color of the carpet or something like that it's right. we're just going to be right. so grateful to be able to meet together that those kind of things um pass away at least temporarily um or at least aren't as loud of arguments as they have been in the past so that's another yeah, thing. just be just be happy there is carpet and right. we can actually walk on it <laughs> yeah you know? like, exactly and like maybe someone lies all it at some point, right so. there yeah. is something there's something wonderful about just the small joys in life that we've taken for granted yeah that are we i i hope we savor a little more on the other side of this and i mean one of those is church attendance for sure uh, with with the full church gathered, like on an Easter Sunday morning, everybody together. Uh, but other other aspects of that are just small things. I think mm-hmm. are going to be really are, are going to be really important and for us to savor. I mean, I you know I have never hungered for the Lord's Supper as much yeah. mm-hmm. as I have during some of the months of COVID. I've had Lord's Supper a few times since COVID started, but those initial weeks, I mean, I just I realized how how meaningful and significant that ordinance is for the Christian life in a way that I don't know that I would have recognized before not having, knowing that I can't go anywhere yes, to get more right. summer, you know, like it just the, the, those things are going to be things I think that we, we, we cherish a little more on the other side of this. Yes. Yeah. And what, what would you say, maybe some trends even, because I know a lot of our listeners are always concerned about, you know, how are we reaching the next generation? So maybe are there some trends with Gen Z that in the Lifeway research is seeing and how maybe COVID has affected that generation? Yeah. I mean, Gen Z is obviously going to be affected by this as this will be something that, you know, my son, who I mentioned before, is a junior in high school. Well, he was a sophomore, of course, when COVID hit, but um 
he, you know, he missed his sophomore soccer season and yeah. was pretty, we were pretty isolated for several months in the spring. And then when numbers ticked up where we are in the fall again as well, even though he's still in school, a lot of isolation in that you're not doing the typical things juniors are doing by just being mm-hmm. out and about and doing other. So this has pushed a lot of Gen Z back into their phones mm-hmm. and back into their, you know, their video games and into their sort of their their own sequestered worlds. And um, and some of that has been good in the sense that it's able, you know, by FaceTiming friends or being able to connect, at least connection is still happening. But Gen Z was already really wrapped up in, in their sort of online digital life beforehand. Right. This, it just accelerates those trends that we've seen. And some of the studies and researchers of Gen Z have shown that uh, there is an increased risk of mental health challenges with um, young people who are really never able to step outside of the social dynamic of school because they're basically they're never off. The social game continues as soon as they get home. They're on their phone the entire evening, you know, sometimes into the night. Um, you know, so I I do think that that is a that that is a I don't know that it's a trend, but it's certainly something that's going to have a lot of impact that we will have to look for on the other side of this is to say, okay, what what do we do to sort of reset that? So reset some of those expectations you know, reinstall some of those restrictions as parents or as as uh, um, um, leaders of the next generation? Like, what will that look like? I don't know the answer to that, but I know there's no escaping the fact that that is going to have a, a pretty big impact on this up and coming generation. Yeah. And I've just thought through in recent days of, you know, the various events that have impacted a generation. And I think that for, for me personally, 9-11 was a huge thing because I was in high school when that happened. And so just thinking through the ways that that changed um, my thought process or my friend's thought process, um, because I've, I've written before about how I didn't even know what a terrorist was before 9-11. Like I had mm. no idea what the definition of that word was. And so, but then, you know, very formative years, I knew what a terrorist was and just how that affected the way that I go about my life and in my world, which, you know, I wasn't in, I'm not in any armed forces or anything like that, but just knowing that there are people out there that are terrorists changes the way that you think about things. So I can't imagine how this is going to affect just the mindset and the, like the worldview and how they, um, you know, interact with others. Cause I think Kelly and I talked about this, how, you know, some kindergartners don't know that wearing a mask is not a normal thing that you do at school, you know? And so it's just like, there's little things that we're going to have to constantly be correcting or, you know, going back to normal. But then there's some things that I think we'll just, we'll never, we won't realize until years later, oh, this is something that they have, this has shaped their thoughts about something. And we just didn't realize it because we didn't know you know, and they didn't know life without it. So they have no idea that that shaped their thoughts. Or even the thought that, I mean, now that they've lived through a pandemic, it could happen again. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing that says that we only have a pandemic once a century, you know, (laughs) know, the Spanish flu. Like there's no, the the great influence of 1918 to 1920. Like we, yeah, we, that was a big one, but we haven't had one quite that big until this. Yeah. Um, But there have been, 
pandemic since then that have not been quite to this extent. Um, And we can be very thankful that this is actually in the scope of world history, a mild pandemic in the sense of the death rate, as far as the toll is considered. If you read, you know, John Barry has an amazing book on the great influenza. It's a, I I mean, the, the idea that people in their prime in their 20s, you know, and 30s could be fine in the morning and dead by the evening from the flu. I mean, you talk about, you know, where, I mean, in some cases where basically bodies were piling up outside homes and in the streets and whatnot. I mean, this is a, that we, we have, because of, you know, modern technology and whatnot, we have, uh, have had a, a much easier time of it than, than previous pandemics. But, but you're right. There's nothing to say that another one couldn't happen in 10 to 15 years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, history is not some sort of endless cycle that is always following a certain trajectory, you know, a certain pattern. Yeah, right. Um, we Who knows what the Lord has in store, but we do know that the, the Lord is in control and he was in control a hundred years ago and he's in control now. And uh, we, we, you know, we have to continue to move forward with faith in him, knowing that these three, you know, deadly terrors, war and pestilence and plague i mean these are these have been the terrors of mankind for thousands of years and the idea that we would escape from you know without ever having tasted or experienced any of these things is probably pretty naive when you look at world history um it's actually the fact that we haven't had a pandemic we haven't had the the plague so to speak um more often that is the the anomaly um, when you look through world history and you look through, you know, people, Christians who have lived in other times. Right. Wow. There's, I, I, I could just keep going on about this. I don't know. I just keep thinking there's a lot of things I would love to ask. And I want to know what you're reading and all those things. But I know our time's getting short. And one of the questions we always ask our listener, you know, to our guest, Trevin, is because we're the March podcast, we want to know what would you say has marked your personal walk with the Lord? Well, that's hard to, that, I mean, there's so many different things I could answer to yeah. that. I mean, obviously I start by thinking about people, you know, I think think of my parents uh, growing up and the way that I was raised and the way that they had me in the word. Um, I think of my church and my pastor growing up, just the way that he preached very Christ-centered messages, um, uh, expositionally taking us through the, the text and always pointing me back to the Bible. Um, I, I, you know, I think, I think of uh, authors and people that I've read over the years that have really influenced my thinking, uh, people that I've also had the privilege of interacting with and um, hearing from personally, uh, people like Tim Keller and others. I mean, I think they have marked my life. But I think one thing I would just throw in there as and say, I think this has marked me, um, it, spiritual disciplines are certainly a mark, mm-hmm. uh, have left a mark. And mm-hmm. for me, the, the habit of reading the Psalms every month mm-hmm. is one that I would not I, I actually have a Psalms in 30 days reading plan that that is available through CSB put it out last or earlier this year um, that incorporates some prayers from church history and some other things as well around them. So it's not just the, the one thing, but praying through the Psalms every month, which is an ancient Christian tradition, um, doing that three times a day every month is one of the most formative things I think of my spiritual life. And so I just, that's, that's what keeps me praying because praying doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, have, I think that would be something I would point to as well. 
I love it. And I love the new um, CSB note, taking all, you know, the notebooks, the scripture notebooks. And I've been going through Psalms because I pray through the Psalms every morning. That's kind of a habit for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is, that's been a great resource. I've enjoyed just doing something a little different with that. And um, that's always a good resource. And we'll put a link to that too, Trevin. We'll put a link in our show notes to that. And oh, we just really, we appreciate so much you joining us today. And so yes. we do want everyone to know that if you want to find out more about Trevin and his book, Rethink Yourself, go to today's show notes or visit LifeWay.com. And you can discover all the things that Trevin has written. And we'll, we'll also provide a link to his website. And uh, as always, we appreciate our listeners. And we look forward to having you back next week. And make sure that you subscribe to the Mark Podcast so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks again, Trevin. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you for having me. I hope that was helpful. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.